goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Sunday, May 27th. I regret to inform you, today's a great show. Today's going to be a fantastic show. Knowing how slow my internet is, it will probably not go out until after the Cavs and Celtics have finished uh, with Game 7. But I do not think it will affect today's show. I think today's show is pretty solid, and we will talk about Game 7 tomorrow with the Warriors and the Rockets and Game 7 tonight, today, today with the Celtics and the Cavs. That will be on Tuesday. But today is some really good stuff. I, I've been sick. I've been having a ton of... I do go to the hospital. Like Tremendous, tremendous stomach problems. It's really not been fun. But I want to start today with this. I want to start by reminding you guys of May 11th, 2017. So on May 11th, 2017 was the day that the Rockets were bounced from the playoffs by the San Antonio Spurs. They were eliminated in six games. They were not eliminated by the Golden State Warriors last year in the NBA playoffs. The Houston Rockets were eliminated by the San Antonio Spurs. And if you remember, go back, remember, James Harden appeared to quit in game six. Then this offseason, after that loss to the Spurs, this offseason, the Houston Rockets traded for point guard Chris Paul. The Rockets acquired Chris Paul. Now, in today's world, in the present day, tomorrow night, the Houston Rockets will play Game 7 against the Golden State Warriors for the Western Conference Championship. If they win, they're in the finals. They're about, they, they, they took the Warriors all the way to Game 7. So what changed? What made the Houston Rockets so much better? What took them from losing? They, last year, remember, last year they lost to the Spurs. This year, they're competing toe-to-toe with the Golden State Warriors. What did they change? They added Chris Paul. They added Chris Paul, and now they're able to compete with the Golden State Warriors. So how come every time I look up most valuable player, all I get is James Harden? I have always, always defined most valuable player the exact same way. The most valuable thing in this room is my computer. It's not the camera. It's not the lights. It's not this really nice mic. I can do the show without all of those things. I could use my iPhone and a computer, but I need to have my computer. I cannot record a podcast without my computer. I can do it with everything else, but my computer is necessary for the process. My computer, even though it's not the most expensive, even though it's not the flashiest or the nicest looking, my computer is the most valuable thing in this room for this podcast. So how come James Harden is considered the most valuable player? James Harden cannot beat the Warriors. We've seen this over and over again. Year in, year out, James Harden could not beat the Warriors. But then you add Chris Paul. Not only were the Rockets able to win some games against the Warriors, they went from the third seed in the NBA Western Conference to the best record in the NBA. Look back. If you look back, we've seen this before. Again, I repeat, the Rockets have never been able to beat the Warriors consistently without Chris Paul. Before Chris Paul came there, in the last two years, before adding Chris Paul to the Rockets, the Rockets are 2-10 and versus the Warriors. They could not beat the Warriors, and then they added Chris Paul. The the two games they won. (laughs) I say they couldn't beat them. They beat them twice, but it was really close. They won in double overtime in December, 
and then they won once in Game 3 of a five-game series. That's the only two times James Harden and the Rockets without Chris Paul were able to beat the Warriors. My point is twofold. First of all, when the Rockets play the Warriors in Game 7 tomorrow night, first, there's no way the Rockets will be able to win Game 7 against the Warriors without Chris Paul. But my second point is this. Should we not re-examine, is James Harden actually the most valuable player in the NBA? Because it would appear he's not even the most valuable player on his own team. See, the reason why they're so good is they added Chris Paul. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look back. and this, I know this argument will make everybody mad. Everybody's like, well, James Harden's a better player. They're, they're screaming. They're angry. Hear me out. I went to hoopstats.com. This season, James Harden has shot less than 40% eight times. James Harden's eight worst games, he shot less than 40%. When James Harden has a bad game, when he shoots less than 40%, James Harden, again, his worst eight games this year, the Rockets are seven and one. The Rockets are seven and one when James Harden has his eight worst night shooting of the year. That includes May 24 in the playoffs. Versus Golden State, Game 5. Guess what? The Rockets still won. The Rockets still beat Golden State, even with James Harden having a bad game. In Game 5 of the playoffs, James Harden shot 23%. He was 0 for 11 from three-point range. And yet his team still beat a dynasty, the Golden State Warriors, 98-94. to And I think it's worth questioning the value of James Harden. If your team can if you can have a really bad night shooting and your team still wins, how important are you to your team winning? Hmm. I repeat, what changed this season when the Rockets suddenly got way better? When the Rockets got tremendously better, what changed? They added Chris Paul. So you can make an argument, maybe not a strong argument, but an argument, hey, maybe Chris Paul is more valuable than James Harden. And that would make James Harden not even the most valuable player on his own team. Last season, the Rockets had 55 wins. And the LA Clippers, who had Chris Paul, had 51 wins. So this season, the Rockets add Chris Paul. The the Clippers lose Chris Paul. The Rockets win 65 games. The Clippers only win 42. That is a 23-game swing. So you could argue, hey, maybe Chris Paul is worth 23 more wins. Chris Paul moved the Rockets again from the three-seed in the NBA Western Conference to the best record in the NBA. Now, it's interesting. Let's take a look at LeBron James. Look at LeBron James. LeBron James only shot under 40% four times this year, and it was not much lower than 40%. James Harden's worst night shooting was 11%. (laughs) LeBron James' worst night shooting was 31%. That's ridiculous. So, when James... When LeBron James shot less than 40%, he only did this four times. When he shot less than 40%, his team is one in three. And in fact, in LeBron James' 10 worst games, the Cleveland Cavaliers are three and seven. LeBron James' team cannot win without him playing well. If LeBron James doesn't play well, his team doesn't win. And it's so funny to me that James Harden's team can win when James Harden doesn't play well, yet LeBron James' team cannot win when he plays well. But what's even more funny is that LeBron's bad performances, quote-unquote bad performances, LeBron James's bad games are good nights for a lot of NBA players. LeBron James never once shot under 30%. 
something that James Harden did three times last year. Not one, not two, but James Harden shot under 30% three times this year. Harden's worst night, I repeat, was 11%. That is awful. That's atrocious. LeBron James' worst night, 31%. His team lost. And it's so funny to me that I just, I just don't understand how people cannot understand this. LeBron James is more valuable than James Harden. If LeBron James doesn't play well, his team can't win. And he doesn't even, he can't even play poorly. James Harden's team won when he shot 23%. When he shot 11%, his team still won. If LeBron James had an 11 point, had an 11% night shooting, his team would lose by 60 points. LeBron James has two players on his team. So let's talk about help. LeBron James does not have a lot of help. LeBron James has two players on his team averaging more than 10 points this season. He has the quote-unquote all-star Kevin Love. Kevin Love is only averaging 13 points. He does lead the team in rebounds. That's the only thing he seems to be able to do. And the other person who's averaging double digits for the Cavaliers is 37-year-old Kyle Korver. Yes, the washed-up old, I love Kyle Korver. He's great. He's an awesome dude. He's not what he used to be. He's 37 years old. He's the only other player averaging double figures, and he's only averaging 10.2 points. He's barely averaging double figures. So in contrast, look at the Rockets and James Harden. James Harden has three teammates averaging over uh, 10 points. Three teammates for James Harden are averaging double figures. That's four total players. Chris Paul's averaging 21. Oh, you think LeBron James would like another player that could score 21 points? He doesn't have it. Eric Gordon averages 15 points, and Clint Capella averages 12 points. So James Harden has a better team, a better team that can win without him. And you want to call him the most valuable player. I repeat, it's possible James Harden is not the most valuable player on his team, but even if he is, Even if James Harden is the best player on the best team, having the best team matters. It means you're not as valuable as LeBron James is. So what that you play on the best team? LeBron James is more important to his team. LeBron James' team, the Cavaliers, the Cavaliers cannot win without a good performance from LeBron James. So let's look at their stats head-to-head. Let's compare LeBron James and James Harden and their stats head-to-head. First off, right off the bat, the most important thing I see is that LeBron James played all 82 games this year. Availability matters. You may not agree with that, but LeBron James played 82 games this year. James Harden took 10 games off. He had a little hamstring injury. He missed 10 games. And that will that will somewhat skew the stats, but I'll, I'll look at averages as well to make sure I account for that. So it's interesting. Uh, LeBron James has a better shooting percentage than James Harden. He shoots 54%. LeBron James shoots 54%. If you round up to help James Harden, James Harden's shooting percent percentage is 45%. Now you can also, okay, well, LeBron James scores the rim more. That makes sense, right? So what about when they're shooting from farther away from the basket? Look at their three-point percentage. James Harden, you would think, well, I understand he does not score at the rim as more, much as LeBron James, so maybe his shooting, shooting percentage is down from LeBron James. Well, surely, oh, without a doubt, of course... James Harden would have a better three-point percentage than LeBron James, right? Right? He's a better shooter. That would make sense. No, they're tied. They have exactly the same three-point percentage. James Harden is shooting 36.7%. It is so weird to me that LeBron James is also shooting 36 
0.7%. That's, that's absurd. That's kind of weird, actually. LeBron James has more assists by 100. He has more rebounds by 400, 709 to 389. And he has 2,251 points versus James Harden, 2,191 points. The total stats goes to LeBron James. But hey, I understand James Harden missed 10 games. So let's look at their averages. That matters too. LeBron James averages eight rebounds a game, sorry, eight assists a game to about the same number with James Harden. He averages more rebounds a game, nine versus five. The only statistical category, the only one, there's only one, maybe two, you can talk about free throw percentage if you want. The only, other than free throw percentage, the only statistical category that James Harden leads LeBron James in is points per game. James Harden has 30 points per game. LeBron James has 27.5. So look, you're going to give the MVP to James Harden, who's not as important to his team, who only leads in one statistical category. He has three more points per game. Okay. The Rockets can win a game when James Harden plays poorly. If I repeat, if LeBron James has a bad game, the Cavaliers lose by 40 points. It's not even close. LeBron James is the most valuable player in the NBA, and I do not know how you can argue with that. It will, he's not going to win. LeBron James is not going to win the MVP, but that is the stupidest, stupidest thing I've ever heard. Every year, we acknowledge he's the best player in the world. His team needs him. But, you know, we're bored with talking about LeBron James. Let's go give it to the new, fun, exciting thing, which is James Harden. We did it last year with Russell Westbrook. We're doing it again this year with James Harden, and it is such an annoying tragedy. I really think part of this is people don't want to give LeBron James more recognition. They're like, you know what? Michael Jordan has a ton of records. We don't want to give... We, I think people are biased to LeBron James because they don't want it to hurt Michael Jordan. They're protecting Michael Jordan by not giving LeBron James records and achievements that he deserves. LeBron James is the most valuable player in the NBA. And yet, mm, we're not going to give it to him? And, and anyway, they did the same thing. Not only are I think they're trying to protect Michael Jordan, to some degree, they even did this to Michael Jordan. For every year Michael Jordan was in the league, he was the best most valuable player in the league. Can we agree on that? Whether you hate LeBron, you like LeBron, we can all agree Michael Jordan was the best player in the league every year. And yet he didn't come close to winning an MVP every year. The most valuable player is the stupidest award in the National Basketball Association. LeBron James is, without a shadow of a doubt, the most valuable player in the NBA right now. The only thing I'll say is this. The last thing I'll leave you with on this argument is people will say, Well, LeBron James has Kevin Love. The reason why LeBron James does not deserve the most valuable player is because he has tons of help. He built this team. He has Kevin Love. Kevin Love should help him. He's an (sighs) all-star. Kevin Love is averaging 13 points a game. The all-star, the great player that LeBron James plays with, is only averaging 13 points a game. That's LeBron James' best help is Kevin Love. 13 points a game. Oh, and by the way, Kevin Love, um, he was hurt most of the year. Like a, a, a large portion of this year, he hurt his leg. He hurt his thumb. Now he's out right now. He's missing game seven with a concussion. Come on, guys. I'm, I'm so sick of the arguments that LeBron James should not be the most valuable player in the league. LeBron James, without a shadow of a doubt, is the most valuable player in the entire NBA. 
Case, end point. I'm done with it. I move on. Game seven will not change my mind. Whether LeBron James loses to the Celtics or he wins, that's not what this argument's based on. I'm recording before game seven of the Cavs and Celtics. Without a shadow of a doubt, LeBron James is the most valuable player in the NBA. All right. We have a lot of great stuff today. We're going to talk about we're talking about football. I know you guys want football. I want to talk about football. You want football. Look, everybody's miserable. This is the time of year where I'm, I'm, I miss football so, so much. And I've got some topics to talk about football so you can remember how great football is. And we can all remember it. We're not even at the bad part of the summer yet. The worst part of the summer will be mid-July when there's a ton of baseball. And I'm like, I just, I just want to talk about Dak Prescott and Tom Brady. It's going to be a long summer, but we're going to always, I have a lot of stuff to talk about with football. I have it prepared now. I have it ready for later this summer. We're going to talk about football all summer. I really do think it's going to be a great summer for sports uh, in spite of the fact it's mostly going to be baseball. And I'm not going to talk a lot about baseball. I'll talk about it some. I have a really good topic on Wednesday about baseball. Uh, the, the Seattle Mariners are the reason why I believe in divorce. <laughs> and that's going to be a fun topic. I'm saving that for Wednesday, but I guess it'll be Tuesday. It'll be a great topic. So today we're going to talk about the Patriots. Uh, I'm going to read. I'm going to tell you guys why I do not believe in the New England Patriots. Then we're going to move into uh, the NFL draft. We're going to revisit the NFL draft. I'm going to talk about some things you should not ever forget about the NFL draft. We'll talk about why I don't really love James Harden's style of play. Some football, some basketball. We're going to talk about Game Seven of both the Eastern Conference Finals and the Western Conference Finals. Remember. If you like strong opinion sports as much as I do, help me grow this channel by telling your friends about this show. Share it on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever it is. And remember, you can't subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as iTunes and SoundCloud. I think Spotify, I know Google Play. But please, help me grow the podcast by telling your friends and subscribing everywhere you can. Leave a review. That'd be awesome. It would really be helpful for me. But that's all I have. I want to move on now to Game 7 between the Warriors and the Rockets. So tomorrow night, tomorrow night we're going to see the Warriors and Rockets play Game 7 of their series. And I do not believe in Houston. The game's going to take place in Houston. It's a home game for the Rockets. And I could not believe in the Rockets any less. The reason is the Houston Rockets do not have Chris Paul in Game 7. That's it. That's all I need because we have seen the Rockets play without Chris Paul many, many times. And guess what? They cannot beat the Golden State Warriors. In fact, two years, the last two years before getting Chris Paul, the Warriors are 10 and 2 against the Rockets. The Rockets have only beat the Warriors twice without Chris Paul because they can't. It's the truth. They didn't do it two nights ago. They're not going to do it again tomorrow night. It's not going to happen. We've seen this team, we've seen this exact same team over and over and over again. A James Harden alone led team with the Rockets cannot beat the Golden State Warriors. No matter how good it looked, I know it looked great in game six. The first half looked fantastic. And I'm looking at my buddy Tyler, like, how are we seeing this? I don't think that what if James Harden can beat the Warriors without any help, without Chris Paul? That'd be amazing. Guess what? Rockets fell apart. Warriors took off. Warriors had a great run at the end, and the Warriors won game six. 
We're going to see a very similar game in Game 7. The Warriors will win Game 7, and the difference will be the Rockets will not have Chris Paul. It matters a ton. That's who they need. I think you could even make an argument. Chris Paul is more valuable than James Harden to the winning of the Rockets, and I do not believe. There's no chance. I would bet a lot of money on the Warriors. There is no chance the Rockets are going to beat the Warriors in Game 7. Now, Game 7 between the Cavs and the Celtics. Game 7 between the Cavs and the Celtics is more interesting. Now, it's important. If you're listening to this right now, Game 7 between the Celtics and the Cavaliers has already happened. I'm sorry. I'm one man. It takes like six hours to record and edit and get it out of podcast. I can't do it all one day. I'm doing the best I can. It's hard to keep up with the NBA playoffs. But here's the, the key here. Can I guess there's two there's two keys to game seven between the Cavaliers and the Celtics. I, I want you to I think it's interesting because we're gonna see if I'm right. I think it's really important to know that you're gonna be listening to this after it happened, but you can judge judge me on whether I'm right or not. I'm saying this before it happens. I'm very curious what's actually going to happen. There's two keys to this game. First of all, can the Cavaliers win a game in Boston? Because we, we've seen the Cavaliers have not shown up to play once in Boston. They've been awful. The only player that appears to have any kind of effort or any kind of urgency in Boston is LeBron James. But the big key to this game is there are four players that matter. So Kevin Love is out. Kevin Love is hurt. He's out for the game seven. So these are four names I want you to pay attention to and listen for. J.R. Smith, Tristan Thompson, George Hill, and Kyle Korver. Those, If those four players play well, if a couple of them have double figures and play well, if those four players play well, the Cavaliers can win. My head says no. Like, logic tells me there is no way the Cavaliers can win a game tonight in Boston. That's, that's what logic says to me. But then I remember, oh yeah, LeBron James defies all logic. LeBron James is in his 15th year in the NBA and he's still the best player in the NBA. That defies all logic. That shouldn't happen. LeBron James should not be as good as he is in year 15 as he is. And I'm tired of betting against LeBron James. So even though my head says no, my head says logically the Cavs should lose tonight against the Boston Celtics. Again, J.R. Smith's not going to play well. Tristan Thompson, George Hill, Kyle Korver, those players matter. And Kevin Love is hurt. It doesn't matter if LeBron James scores 60 points. They're still going to lose. But even though logic says don't believe and don't bet on the Cleveland Cavaliers, Logic doesn't matter with LeBron James. This is LeBron James in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Are you really willing to bet against LeBron James? Because I'm not. In fact, I wouldn't bet on this game at all. I have no idea what's going to happen. I I don't want to bet against LeBron James, but I'm not going to tell you I have any faith in, again, J.R. Smith, Tristan Thompson, George Hill, or Kyle Korver. I have no faith in any of the role players for the Cavs, so I simply have no idea what's going to happen. I don't. And I'm very curious to see, do the role players show up? Does LeBron James take over? Uh, We're going to see. We saw this a couple times earlier in the series. Ten minutes left. Cavaliers down ten, and LeBron James did not turn it on. He did not carry his team home to victory. I hope that happens tonight. That's what I want to see from LeBron James. I want to see the Cavaliers down ten with ten minutes left, and LeBron James go on a tear and lead his team to victory. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, I wouldn't bet against LeBron James and I would not bet in favor of the Cavaliers role player because as much as I love LeBron James, as much as he defies all logic, the Cavaliers role players simply 
are not dependable, not at all. They are all over the map. So I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm going to react to it on Tuesday. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. I'm really curious to see what happens. I'm going to watch the game tonight and uh, we can talk about that on Tuesday. <clears throat> Drink some water. I got a new water bottle. I got a uh, Montana state water bottle. They sent it to me in the mail when I applied. I'll probably go, be going to school in Bozeman, Montana. So that'll be interesting. We'll figure that out. Um, I want to talk about the New England Patriots. I know you guys want football. I want to talk about football. I really miss the NFL. I just, uh, it's just not, I'm not going to fabricate stories. I'm not going to make up crap about the NFL that isn't there. But I do have a creative, uh, you know, I, it's one thing to not have a lot of NFL news. It's another thing to not have anything to talk about with the NFL. And I think neither is true. I think there are, there is NFL news. And I do think there are a couple things I could muster up to make some interesting topics about the NFL. But what I'm never going to do is I'm never going to make up crap. I know people are like pulling stuff out of their butt. I'm not going to do that. I, if there's nothing interesting to talk about, I'm not going to talk about it. But I think I'm pretty good at hopefully creating topics that are interesting about the NFL. That's my goal always is to be interesting and have a good perspective that you want to listen to on Strong Opinion Sports. How do I how do I do this? It's very interesting. Um, I guess the truth is this: I believe the Patriots have lost their edge. I just have a hard time buying into the Patriots this year. I mean, it's still Tom Brady, it's still Bill Belichick. I'm not gonna say I I don't have any faith in them, but I guess faith is what it's gonna take. I I just logically looking at the Patriots, I'm very concerned. So if you look at the last 18 years, you know, give or take for the Patriots. The reason why the Patriots have been so great is their culture. You know, the Patriot way. Because the Patriots have never had the best players. In fact, I guess the one year they did, they went 16-0. and But the Patriots, they don't win games because they have better players than you. They don't win games because they have more skill everywhere else. The reason why the Patriots win a ton of games is they're disciplined, they're smarter than you, and they execute better than you. The Patriot way. The Patriots culture is why they win a ton of games. In fact, we've seen the Patriots own the Steelers over the years. And the reason why the Patriots have owned the Steelers is, even though the Steelers are far more talented, the Patriots have a better culture in place. The Patriots have a the Patriot way. They have Bill Belichick's system that wins them games. But now, uh, Tom Brady skipping OTAs. And the Patriots are practicing without their quarterback. And I think it matters. I know a lot of people are going to argue, Zach, this doesn't matter at all. You're blowing things out of proportion. I'll explain to you why I think it matters. I think that Tom Brady is sending a message to Bill Belichick. Tom Brady saying, hey, Bill, hey, Bill, screw you. Nope. And I think Bill Belichick benching Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl really, really cost Bill Belichick. That mattered a lot. And I think the Patriots... This may be the beginning of the end for in New England. I really do. I mean, I think the Patriots are going to have some success this year. I don't think they're done. They'll probably win their division. They'll probably win the AFC East. But a car with an oil leak can go for quite a while before it runs out of oil, but eventually it will always run out of oil. And I think the Patriots are a well-run system that has an oil leak. They have a problem. They have a problem with their culture. M many people are arguing with me right now. Tom Brady missing OTAs does not matter at all. He doesn't need OTAs. Tom Brady's 40 years old. He'll be 41 in August. He's played for 18 years. Why does Tom Brady need OTAs? 
14 games of practice in the spring. It doesn't matter. Correct. Correct. You're, you're, you are right in one sense. You arguing with me, you're correct. Tom Brady does not need OTAs. Does it matter? This is not going to affect his season. Tom Brady's going to have a great year. He doesn't need to practice for a couple days in the spring. But OTAs set the tone. OTAs do matter for people not named Tom Brady. I worked at a movie theater once, um, and it was a it was a fine job. It was we had this meeting though, a, a dumb monthly meeting every once a month on Saturdays. We would all meet uh, Saturday mornings, like eight a.m. at the movie theater, and it, it was really a worthless meeting. We did nothing. Like it was, I'd been there for over a year. I was like six time employee of the month. It didn't matter for me. I know what we're going to talk about. It's the same dumb meeting every year, every month, I guess. But it does matter. Because there is mandatory attendance. You have to be at this meeting. And if you don't show up at the mandatory movie theater Saturday morning once a month meeting, you are disrespecting the boss if you skip. If you skip the meeting, you're disrespecting the boss. If you miss the meeting, it shows you don't care and that you don't respect the boss. And people notice. Your coworkers, if you miss that Saturday morning meeting, the worthless meeting where we don't go really over anything, people still notice. And when Tom Brady skips OTAs and doesn't follow the rules, he doesn't do the Patriot way. He doesn't follow their system. He gives a screw you to Bill Belichick. That puts questions in everybody's head. Why should I listen to Bill Belichick? If Tom Brady, the greatest football player maybe of all time, if he doesn't listen to Bill Belichick, why should I? I think it's over for New England. I really do. I, I, I don't like saying that. But the Patriots will not win the Super Bowl in 2019. I think their culture is ruined. Because what I've always loved, the, the reason why I've always been such a fan of New England, I've loved their culture. I've loved the way the Patriots operate. And it appears now the Patriots' culture is ruined. They never had better players. They never had star receivers. They never had these amazing, amazing draft picks. What the Patriots have always had is an incredible culture. And I think Tom Brady missing OTAs is the beginning of the end for the Patriot way. I believe their culture is tarnished, and I think they're a car with an oil leak, and eventually they're going to run out of oil. The Patriots are in trouble, and I have a hard time logically buying into the New England Patriots. I know. I have, it's, hard, I don't, it's hard not to have faith. Like, they're still Tom Brady. It's still Bill Belichick. Maybe they can pull some magic out of their butts, but I just have a hard time logically buying into the New England Patriots, knowing that Tom Brady is not on the same page with Bill Belichick, and I believe their culture is somewhat affected. I don't know. I don't know. I think it matters. It's hard to... When your culture is tarnished, it's hard to keep going. I, I, I remember the minute I lost respect for my movie theater boss, my job was done. I, I couldn't... I, I struggled to work there. You know, we worked at a movie theater, and he would not order popcorn... He wouldn't order more pop. It's like, dude, we're a movie theater. The one thing we can't run out of is popcorn. And the minute I lost respect for my boss at the movie theater, I mentally checked out. I eventually left that job a couple months later. Like, it was really interesting. I was there for about a year. And the minute I realized my manager sucks, the minute I realized my boss is no good, I was gone within two months. I was at Safeway. I was another job. Because you can't. It's so hard to work with someone you don't believe in and don't believe that they will do well. And when I lost faith in my boss, I was done at the movie theater. I want to talk about Dak Prescott. Talk about the Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to drink some more water. 
out of my awesome Montana State water bottle. Go, uh, what they, Bobcats? Is that their, I don't, I don't, fuck, screw, I don't know. All I know is, uh, wow, Montana's beautiful. <laughs> I, I know I'm off topic, I apologize, but Montana is the most gorgeous place I've ever seen in, uh, in, in my lifetime. I've been to California, I've been to LA, I went to Santa Cruz once. I've been all over, uh, I guess, the West Coast. I've never really, seen, I'm going to Texas later this summer. Montana is the most incredible, beautiful place I've ever seen in my life. Um, so let's talk about Dak Prescott. The other day, Dak Prescott was talking about wide receivers, and Dak Prescott said that number one wide receivers are not important. In fact, I'll read you the quote. Here's a quote that Dak Prescott said. Dak Prescott said this, I don't know if any team needs a number one wide receiver. It's about getting the ball out, spreading the ball around, and keeping the defense on its toes. That's what Dak Prescott said the other day. And I, I think I agree with this for the most part. Not entirely. I think, I think, you know, if you have Michael Irving or Jerry Rice, that's not my argument. I'm not going to say, hey, uh, don't take a great wide receiver. That's stupid. That's not my argument. Please don't take it there. I think there are going to be people that watch this or listen to this and don't quite understand my point. My point is 100% not to say, if you can have Jerry Rice or Michael Irving or even Julio Jones, that's not a bad thing. Take them 100%. They're great wide receivers. But I will say this. There are two reasons why I agree with Dak Prescott. At least not having a number one wide receiver could be good for Dak Prescott. First of all, I think wide receivers are somewhat overvalued. So look around. Randy Moss, Larry Fitzgerald, Terrell Owens, Calvin Johnson, Andre Johnson, Chad Ochocinco, even Julio Jones. I mean, his career is not over, but those great wide receivers I just listed, none of them have a Super Bowl ring. So I, th- I think, first of all, number one wide receivers are somewhat overrated because they don't necessarily win games. Ocho Cinco never won a Super Bowl. Terrell Owens never won a Super Bowl. Having a great wide receiver does not mean you're going to win a Super Bowl. And everyone will hate that argument, but I think it still is somewhat true. It still matters. Wide receivers are somewhat overrated. But here's the reason, the real reason why I think Dak Prescott is right. Here's the biggest reason why Dak Prescott may be right that not every team needs a number one wide receiver. The fear is that you will become too dependent on one person. You do not want to become too dependent on one person. First of all, if they don't show up, you're screwed. Like if I if I need that's why some of our relationships often are so bad, actually. My last relationship was incredibly codependent. And the minute I lost her, my life fell apart because I was so dependent on her for happiness that without her, I couldn't make it. So you never want to be too dependent on one person. But the other problem is this. Having a number one wide receiver comes with expectations. You have to throw Dez the ball a certain number of times to keep Dez Bryant happy. Now, not all receivers. I, don't, I do not believe Julio Jones is this way. But yeah, receivers want their touches, especially, quote unquote, the number one wide receiver. I'm not saying wide receivers aren't amazing. I'm not saying, hey, if you can have Jerry Rice, Michael Irving, even Julio Jones, they're great. A number one receiver is is fantastic. You want that. But I do believe Dak Prescott, maybe more than other receivers, I don't know that Dak Prescott made a generalized statement. Dak Prescott said, I don't think any team needs a number one wide receiver. I don't believe that's true. But I do believe Dak Prescott may be better off without Des Bryant. Dak Prescott may be better off without a number one wide receiver. See, when you decide where to throw a football, you want the defense to dictate where you throw the ball. 
I'm looking downfield. I read the defense. Oh, okay. Cole Beasley's wide open. I'll throw to Cole Beasley. Your thought process should not be, hmm, Cole Beasley's open, but I haven't thrown Des Bryant the ball in, in nine throws. I better get him a pass. That's not what you want. Or even pre-snap. Um, I, I could see Cole Beasley might be open, but I'm going to take a look at Des Bryant because I got to give Des Bryant the football. That is the fear. See, number one wide receivers can throw off your thought process if you're trying to get them the ball all the time. Or another problem is this. It's third and three or third and seven. And uh, Julio Jones is my guy. Then you predetermine, I'm going to throw the ball to Julio Jones rather than read the defense and take what the defense gives you. See, my whole argument is this. Sometimes having a number one wide receiver can actually overcomplicate things. I never had a number one wide receiver in high school or in college, and actually it was great. It was freeing because I could throw to the guy who was open rather than, oh, I got to get the ball to Jeremiah or I got to get the ball to Marcus or I got to get the ball to Dez. There never was that. It was actually always who's open based on what the defense is giving me, who is actually open. And I do believe this will work in Dak Prescott's favor. Not having Dez Bryant is good for Dak Prescott. He will improve because he doesn't have that number one wide receiver, that expectation. I got to throw the ball to Dez. Third and three, I got to give the ball to Dez Bryant. Again, I would take Antonio Brown. I would take Julio Jones. I would take Michael Irving. I would take Jerry Rice. That is not my argument here. But what I am saying is I think Dak Prescott is better off without Dez Bryant because the expectations, the predetermined trying to get in the ball, everything. I think Des Bryant was bad for Dak Prescott, and I do believe Dak Prescott will take a step forward without him. So I rest my case. I have four stories left. I have four things I want to talk about before this podcast ends. I'm going to talk about James Harden. James Harden's style of play concerns me. I don't think it's great. I think it's okay, um, but I I do have some concerns and some problems with the way that that James Harden plays basketball. I'm going to give you guys a topic. I think this is the only time of the year I can ever talk about it. The Warriors are going into game seven of their final series. I believe the Warriors are going to win, but I try to be interesting. The goal of this show is always to be interesting. And I had a thought process. The the minute that the Warriors looked like they might lose, I had a thought, hey, maybe losing could be good for the Golden State Warriors. I'll talk about that. How is it possible that losing in the finals could be good for the Warriors? I'll give you a really good, interesting argument in a minute. I'm going to talk about the Celtics. The Celtics have all kinds of options this offseason. What should the Celtics do this offseason? And I know you guys want me to talk about football. So before the show ends, the last topic of the day will be a couple things you should never, ever forget from this year's NFL draft. And remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best most interesting clips. If you like strong opinion sports, help me grow this podcast by telling your friends about this show. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. I, I hope you guys know my, my favorite thing in all of sports is to find a topic and find something I can talk about on the field or on the court that I can relate to everyday life. I love, love doing that. There are some broadcasters that do that. There are some broadcasters that don't. I find Dan Patrick incredibly boring. I think Dan Patrick is just an old guy saying exactly what he thinks. He's not creative. He's not interesting. And I try to emulate the other style of sports broadcasting, which is relating everyday life 
to sports. I think that's my favorite thing in the world. That's what I love to do. And this is a topic that does that. And I'm very excited to share this. Uh, It's probably, again, the last chance I can do that, given what's going to happen tomorrow night in the NBA playoffs. But this is why James Harden's style of play concerns me. I don't think I've talked about this. James Harden's style of play absolutely does concern me. There are things that James Harden does that I go, eh, I don't know, that's very reliable. James Harden led the league this year in free throw attempts. James Harden shot 852 free throws this year. That's over 100 more than the next guy. Giannis had 696, over 100 less than James Harden. James Harden shoots a ton of free throws. And free throws are a a huge part of James Harden's game. That's how James Harden gets a lot of his points is at the free throw line. And it works. I mean, it does work pretty well. James Harden scores tons and tons of points that way. But what concerns me about this style of play, the way that James Harden accumulates so many points, is that he doesn't necessarily just rely on himself. In fact, it concerns me because James Harden ultimately relies on the refs. James Harden needs the refs to give him calls in order for him to score buckets that way. What if, what if James Harden runs into a night where the refs don't like him? Or a night where the refs are allowing for a more physical style of play and James Harden isn't getting calls that send him, send him to the free throw line? See, again, a lot of James Harden's points rely on somebody other than James Harden making a decision, other than James Harden doing something. And that's not necessarily sustainable. I would compare it to this. I'd compare it to making money on YouTube. There are three big ways you can make money on YouTube. You can monetize your videos through YouTube. You can have a Patreon. Or you can have personal business relationships and sponsorships. So I think what's interesting is that two of them you can control. And one of them is YouTube's control. You don't have any control over that version. And the truth is, if you want to make money on YouTube... You need to build your own business relationships, your own sponsorships. You know, when people are like, this video is sponsored by, and they hold up a product and they say that. That is what really makes you money on YouTube. The other way to make money on YouTube is to have a Patreon, which is where people, your fans, basically subscribe to you for a dollar a month or $2 a month, whatever. And the third way to monetize is pretty hit or miss. It's monetizing through YouTube. You have YouTube put their ads over your videos. That's out of your control. That's not as reliable. And it's the same way with James Harden scoring. When you are putting your trust in somebody else, that that concerns me a little bit. That's not as reliable. If I'm going to score buckets, I want to rely on me. If I want to make money, I want to rely on me. I would rather rely on my own abilities than leave it up to somebody else to make a decision, to make a call, to score points for me, to make money for me. James Harden often relies on the refs, and that is what concerns me. A majority of James Harden's points come from the free throw line, and the way he gets there is by getting help from somebody else. That is precarious and concerning. I would rather James Harden go score buckets on his own the way that most of the league does it, rather than hoping someone hits his arm and hoping someone calls it a foul. I mean, he's a master. James Harden, I'm not faulting him at all. He's found a loophole in the system. And James Harden is fantastic at exploiting these calls, at finding a way to get to the free throw line. James Harden draws a foul better than anybody else in the NBA. Look at it. Again, 852 attempts from the free throw line. That's 100 attempts 
over 100 attempts more than the next guy. I mean, James Harden is a master, but it's also somewhat unreliable. And I, I just would not want to put all my trust in the refs. What if you miss a call? What if that? What if something else happens? I would rather James Harden's style of play say, I'm James Harden. I'm going to go get a bucket. Watch me do it. And to some degree, he often relies on the refs, I think, a little too much. And that is why James Harden's style of play concerns me. I've seen a narrative recently, a, a narrative that here's a narrative I've seen recently is that if the Golden State Warriors lose to the Houston Rockets, should they make a massive change? People have been writing articles, been talking all over everywhere. If the Rockets beat the Warriors, should the Rockets make massive, massive changes to their franchise? My first kind of reflex argument is no. My reaction is no, no, no. The Warriors should not change a thing, even if they lose. First of all, I think the Warriors are going to win game seven against the Houston Rockets. There's no way the Warriors will lose to the Rockets. But even if they do, whether, whether they do or not, the Warriors should not change a thing. The Warriors have a great, great head coach, Steve Kerr, and they have a ton of fantastic players. The reason why the Warriors have struggled this year and the reason why the Warriors, if they do lose to the Rockets, the reason for it will be Clay Thompson is hurt. Steph Curry's hurt. That's affected their reliability. You, you know, it's kind of hard. You know, Kevin Durant's going to show up every game. It seems like Clay Thompson and Steph Curry kind of hit or miss right now. And the third is that Andre Godala is really hurt. And Andre Godala, I think he's out for game six, even seven. And he is at one point, remember, he was once a finals MVP. Andre Godala does matter to that team. And for him to be out, he's a starter. That also matters. So injuries have been a big concern for the Golden State Warriors this year. And I think you could even argue, if the Warriors lose tomorrow night in game seven, you could argue that might be a good thing for the Golden State Warriors. I mean, look, the dynasty's not going to come to an end anytime soon if you are the Warriors. Steph Curry's 30 years old, Kevin Durant's 29, Klay Thompson's 28, and Draymond Green is also 28 years old. There are years, not one, not two, three, four, maybe five years left of this dynasty if they can keep the personalities all together. And I think that losing now, losing in the middle of their dynasty, could actually be really good for the Golden State Warriors. It could shake them up and help them refocus, help them get back on track. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if you lose. I would, you know, compare to this, once upon a time, my brother died. My younger brother died. He took his life and it really shook things up for me. But often, in a lot of ways, it was a good thing for me. It was kind of, it was a wake up call. I'm not excited. I'm not saying, you know, losing the finals is good. I'm not saying having your brother die is ever good. It's not ever good. It's not ever an awesome thing to celebrate. But you can use it, and I hopefully use that as a wake-up call, and I think we could see a similar thing happen with the Golden State Warriors. Because it's hard, man. When you're winning year in, year out, it's really hard to keep your foot on the gas. The more successful you are, the harder it is to grind, the harder it is to get up and work. And I think it's very possible for the betterment of the longevity, for the longevity of the Warriors to make their dynasty lasts longer it might be good if they lost now it'd be kind of a wake-up call it'd shake them up they go oh, crap what are we doing how did we lose to chris paul injured and james harden man i do think losing could be a good thing for the warriors it would shake them up it would not scare me in the slightest if they did if the warriors somehow lost okay they were injured they they're probably tired they need to recalibrate 
I think, again, the Warriors have four players in their prime. They have a great coach, and they have years left they could play together. And they seem to get along. They seem to like each other, which is weird and crazy and kind of impossible. The Warriors have dealt with injuries all year. If they lose now, if the Warriors somehow miraculously lose Game 7, I don't think you need to panic. I don't think you need to break up the team. You don't need to fire Steve Kerr. They need to recalibrate this offseason, rest, recover, come back probably better than ever next year. I'm sure they're a little bit burned out of basketball. I think losing for the Warriors could be good. It could shake them awake. It could say, okay, guys, we need to refocus. We need to come back and we need to dominate the NBA next year. And I think that is what could happen for the Golden State Warriors if they lose. If the Warriors lose, no panic from me. I think it will be fine. And I'm not concerned if the Warriors lose in the slightest. All right. Two topics left. We're going to talk about the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics have so many options this year. I mean, their their options are plentiful. They have so many good players, so many assets they could deal, they could use, whatever. I mean, listen to this. Terry Rozier had 28 points two nights ago. And (laughs) Jalen Brown in the same night had 27 points. They're both 24 and 21. That's unbelievable. The Boston Celtics future is so, so bright. Now, the biggest possibility, the biggest option that the Boston Celtics have this offseason is this. Do the Boston Celtics want to commit to Terry Rozier or Kyrie Irving? Because they're both point guards. Kyrie Irving is a perennial all-star. And you can argue, you know, Terry Rozier, scary Terry, he's really stepped up. He's played incredibly well in the playoffs. He's really filled in the role of Kyrie Irving quite well. And he's done a really good job as a point guard. And I think it's, I want to compare them. I want to go through their kind of pros and cons and talk about should the Celtics commit to Terry Rozier or Kyrie Irving? Because I think it's an interesting debate. You could have a new, cheaper, younger point guard next year, or you could have Kyrie Irving. So first of all, again, Terry Rozier is 24. He's 24 years old. He has two years left on his deal. At the end of his deal, he will be a restricted free agent. And Terry Rozier is really cheap. He's $3 million this year. He'll be $4 million the next year. Terry Rozier's contract is like nothing. It's, it's very, very nice. Really good for the cap room. In contrast, Kyrie Irving, he's only two years older. He's 26 years old. And he also has two years left. But at the end of two years, Kyrie Irving will be an unrestricted free agent. I think that means he can kind of look around, go everywhere, anywhere he wants. And Kyrie Irving is extremely expensive. Kyrie Irving, you're paying him $20 million next year, $21 the next after year after that. That's a huge, huge difference for the cap room. Now, if you look at their stats, this year Kyrie Irving shot 49%. uh, Terry Rozier shot 39%. That's in the regular season. In the postseason, Scary Terry shot 42%. And from three-point range, Kyrie Irving's 40%. Terry Rozier's, regardless of playoffs or regular season, Terry Rozier shot 38%. Points per game, Kyrie has 24%. Rozier has 17. They have about the same amount of assists. Actually, you'd be kind of surprised. Terry Rozier averages 5.8. Kyrie Irving only averages 5.1. And free throw percentage is comparable. Uh, Kyle Kyrie Irving shoots 88%. Terry Rozier shoots 82%. They're not far off. I mean, you could really argue that they're they're comparable. Terry Rozier is a slightly lower production version of Kyrie Irving. You get less production, like barely a little bit. But he's way cheaper. So you get most of the production of Kyrie Irving for significantly less cost. 
Now, remember, Kyrie Irving also has injury concerns, and that's a factor. If you're the Boston Celtics, you're looking, we could commit to Kyrie Irving, but he's expensive and he gets hurt seemingly every single year. This decision for the Boston Celtics reminds me of when the Cowboys had to decide between Tony Romo or Dak Prescott. The Cowboys could have chosen the expensive, older, veteran, highly productive Tony Romo, or they they decided what they did do is go to the younger, cheaper, maybe slightly less productive, but still productive Dak Prescott. I do believe it's a very similar decision. Now, the benefit if the Celtics decide to commit to Terry Rozier is Kyrie Irving is a huge asset you could use to trade. You can basically go get a lot. You can get a lot of good players for Kyrie Irving. He's a great, great player. You got to steal with him last year. He maybe have injury concerns, but there might be a franchise out there that says, we'll give you a really good player. Like, for example, the Spurs need to find a way to get rid of Kawhi Leonard. How better a way to get rid of Kawhi Leonard than bring in Kyrie Irving? That's a trade that could happen. Now, I would not trade Kyrie Irving. I would not for many, many reasons. Here's the big one. I've talked about Kyrie Irving's injury concerns. And I think you want Kyrie Irving in the finals and the end of the season, in the playoffs, game seven, Eastern Conference finals, tonight, a game like tonight, you really, really want Kyrie Irving because when you need a bucket at the end of a game, he can give you one. And Terry Rozier simply cannot just simply get you a bucket. Kyrie Irving is better than anybody else at getting a bucket when you need him. Maybe not better than anybody else, but certainly better than anybody the Celtics could bring in next year. They're not going to bring in Kevin Durant. They're not going to bring in Steph Curry. They're not going to bring in, I, don't, I mean, who else is there? I mean, Kyrie Irving is, he's, he's not going to bring in James Harden. For what the Celtics have an opportunity to have, Kyrie Irving is the best scorer they could possibly bring in. Now, the only way I believe to get Kyrie Irving to the end of the season, because Kyrie Irving is, let's be very, very clear, Kyrie Irving gets injured every single year. It seems like, Ever, other than his years with LeBron James, Kyrie Irving always has an injury concern. So how do you get Kyrie Irving to the playoffs? How do you keep Kyrie Irving healthy until Game 7 of the NBA Finals? You need to lean on Kyrie less. You need to use Kyrie Irving less. Well, hey, guess what? If you're not using Kyrie Irving, you now have Terry Rozier. I would not get rid of Terry Rozier. I would keep Kyrie Irving and I would use both of them. Both of them. You're going to get, if you can get good production out of both, that's amazing. That's fantastic. You have a great point guard for rotation one and a great point guard for your second rotation. You can lean on Kyrie less. You can keep him healthy to later in the year next year. And Terry Rozier can play more minutes next year and apparently be pretty productive because he's not bad. That is how I would do it. I would not get rid of Kyrie Irving and I would not get rid of Terry Rozier. I think you need both working in tandem to keep both of them healthy so they're both there at the end of the year in the finals when you need them. Because you want Kyrie Irving in the playoffs. That is the big, big thing you need to do. How can we keep Kyrie Irving healthy throughout the entire year? I think the answer is you lean on Terry Rozier a little bit more. But either way you look at it, man, the Boston Celtics have so many options. They have such good young assets, such good young players. I mean, look, Marcus Smart is 24. Jalen Brown, he had 27 points the other night. He's 21 years old. He's a he's a, in his I believe in his second year. That's unbelievable. Terry Rozier is 24. Al Horford's 31, but he's fantastic. 31's not that old in the NBA. He'll be 32 next year. He's got a couple good years left. Gordon Hayward's young. 
Kyrie Irving's another great player. The Celtics are stacked. And the truth is, the Celtics can pretty much go get whoever they want. They have good assets. They have Kyrie. They could trade Al Horford. I would not. But if they want to go get Kawhi Leonard, that's entirely possible. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see what the Boston Celtics go out and do this offseason. I would not do much. I really wouldn't. I think Gordon Hayward will be back. He'll be great. I think Kyrie Irving will be fantastic. You Now you know that you have... Marcus Smart is young. Jalen Brown. They have Jason Tatum, who's only a rookie. They're in such good shape for next year. And if you want to make a trade, you want to go get someone, the Boston Celtics can basically get whoever they want. I'm very, very excited for the future of the Boston Celtics. They have a ton of options, and I like pretty much every option you could come up with for the Boston Celtics. I think they're in very, very good shape. I love their future. All right, here's the last topic of the day for you guys. These are... Seven things you should never forget about the NFL draft from this year. Seven things you should never forget about the 2018 NFL draft. Here's a few of them. A few things to remember, because I'm very curious to look ahead. I think it'll be fun to look back on this year's draft class a year from now, at the end of this year. And then again in five years, because I think after one year, it'll look one way. Josh Rosen will probably be the best quarterback after just one year. But it's possible that Sam Darnold won't play, Lamar Jackson won't play, Baker Mayfield may not play. So in five years, it'll look even more different than it looks after one year. And it's going to be fun to look back on this draft class. I believe this draft class is very unique, full of quarterbacks, lots and lots of quarterbacks, more than next year, more than two years ago. I'm excited to look back on this draft class. So these are seven things you should never, ever forget about the 2018 draft class. The first thing is this, never forget... The Cleveland Browns chose Baker Mayfield over Sam Darnold, over Josh Rosen, and over everybody else. Baker Mayfield was the number one overall pick. I should not have to remind you of that. The Browns, whether he is good or whether he's not good, are going to be reminded that they chose Baker Mayfield for the next 15 years. Again, if Baker Mayfield's fantastic, yay, we did the right thing. And if Baker Mayfield doesn't work, oh man, if Baker Mayfield doesn't work, but Sam Darnold does, but Josh Rosen does, that's going to look really bad for the Cleveland Browns. The other thing to never forget, number two, is the Giants passed on both Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen and actually everybody else. The Giants decided not to go get a quarterback this year. I think it matters. I think in five years, we're going to look back and realize the Giants should have got a quarterback. That was a big mistake. Now, the third thing is this. Remember, the Broncos committed to Case Keenum. The Broncos could have gotten a quarterback, and they decided not to. They decided, to, we're going to commit to Case Keenum, our free agent quarterback from Minnesota. For better or worse, time will tell. I don't know if that was a good move or not. But we know the Broncos, they got Bradley Chubb, great, great defensive player. And the Broncos elected not to draft a quarterback because they believed in Case Keenum. We will see if that pays off. The fourth thing you should never forget about the 2018 NFL draft is that the Bills chose... Josh Allen over Josh Rosen. The Bills chose the unproven quarterback that struggles with accuracy from Wyoming. They chose Josh Allen over Josh Rosen. Well, I don't believe in that. That's the one. Baker Mayfield, I can live with. Sam Darnold, I can live with. You choose Josh Allen over Josh Rosen. That, to me, seems like probably a huge, huge mistake. Well, time will tell. I know after one year, that's going to look really bad. The sixth, the fifth thing you should remember is that Josh Rosen was the fourth quarterback. 
Not the first, not the second, not the third. Three quarterbacks were chosen before Josh Rosen was chosen in this year's NFL draft. He was the 10th overall pick. Kind of reminds me of, you know, Dan Marino slid a ton in the NFL draft. Aaron Rodgers slid a ton in the NFL draft. And yet Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback from his draft class. It could be very, very similar with Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen slid a lot. He could prove everybody wrong, though, and be significantly better than everybody in this draft class. The sixth thing to remember is that everybody, every single team passed on Lamar Jackson, including the Rams, the Rams, the Ravens, including the Ravens, the team that got him. Everybody passed on Lamar Jackson. If he turns into a huge star, remember the Patriots could have had him. The Bengals could have had him. The Dolphins could have had him. Everybody passed on Lamar Jackson. And if in three years from now, he's fantastic. Never, ever forget all 32 teams passed on Lamar Jackson. Every single team could have had him. The Ravens had to trade back into the first round to the 32nd overall pick to go get Lamar Jackson. Never, ever forget. The seventh thing you should never, ever forget. Not only did everybody pass on Mason Rudolph, for better or worse, maybe Mason Rudolph will fail, but Mason Rudolph was a third-round pick. Mason Rudolph went to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and even three years from now, he's a fantastic player and a starter. Maybe, maybe it'll be five years, but it's very possible Mason Rudolph could be the next franchise quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Remember, everybody passed on Mason Rudolph. They could have had him. The Giants could have got him in the second round. The Giants did not. Everybody passed on Mason Rudolph. Those are seven things you should never, ever forget. I'm going to make a couple predictions now. My first prediction is that after one year, after just one year, I believe that Josh Rosen will be the best quarterback in this draft class. That's what, After one year, it's what it's going to look like. Because never forget, remember, Lamar Jackson may not play this year. Darnold, it's possible, could not take a snap next year. Maybe Baker Mayfield will not play this year. I don't know about Josh Allen, but I think it's possible Josh Rosen could start every game of next year's football season, and he might look amazing. So it's very possible after just one year, everyone's going to be saying, hey, Josh Rosen is the best quarterback in this draft class. But I don't think that's entirely fair. Because again, I don't think every quarterback is going to play this year. I think what's going to be really interesting is two, three, I think five years from now. What are we going to look back on from this draft class? Are we going to think, hmm, the Broncos could have had Josh Allen and they decided not to. Or, hmm, the Broncos could have drafted Josh Rosen and they decided not to. Should the Broncos have drafted a quarterback? The other thing to think about is, will Mason Rudolph be a future star for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Is Mason Rudolph going to be the franchise quarterback for the Steelers? If he is. If Mason Rudolph wins a Super Bowl, ooh, a lot of teams are going to look really dumb because they could have had him. In fact, if any of the quarterbacks other than Baker Mayfield win a Super Bowl, mm, the Browns are going to look pretty stupid because the Browns chose Baker Mayfield. Was that the right choice? Time will tell. I think it could have been. I'm not going to hate on Baker Mayfield. Maybe five years from now, we're going to go, wow, Baker Mayfield is king of the North. He's fantastic. But for now, mm, who's going to be right? Five years from now, I cannot wait to find out. Who was right about Sam Darnold? Was it the Giants who passed on him? Or was it the New York Jets who decided to draft him? Because one of these teams is going to be right, and one of these teams is going to be very, very wrong. The Giants could have had a franchise quarterback. They decided not to. The Jets, immediately after the Giants passed on him, the Jets got him. Who's right, the Giants or the Jets? Will Sam Darnold be a star? 
does Lamar Jackson or even Josh Allen, do either one of them pan out? Five years from now, we're going to know. Either one of them could be a bust. Either one of them could make it. I don't really know. I'm very excited to see where Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen are five years from now. The last one is this. Will Josh Rosen, because Josh Rosen, after one year, I'm, I'm very, very convinced, after one season, we're all going to think Josh Rosen was the best quarterback from this draft class. Will he take a lead and never let, let it go? Or will Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield, will they come back? Will they pass? And maybe Lamar Jackson, Sam, Mason Rudolph. Uh, and five years from now is, after just one season, again, Josh Rosen will look like the, the best quarterback from this draft class. Five years from now, will he still be held in the same opinion? Will Josh Rosen still look like the best quarterback five years from now? I don't know. Time will tell. Remember, my name is Zach Shalmer. You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow this podcast by telling your friends about this show. That is all I have, everybody. Um, I kind of did that out of order. Normally, I say... That's all I have, and then I say the whole spiel about sharing and subscribing, but whatever. I'm going to be back on Tuesday morning after Game 7 of the Cavs and Celtics, after Game 7 of the Warriors and Rockets. The podcast will be back. We'll react to those games. We'll prepare for the NBA Finals. It's going to be very exciting. I'm going to have some baseball stuff on Tuesday, some football stuff on Tuesday. Strong Opinion Sports will be back on Tuesday. I'm recording in the morning. I hope to get it out by 1 p.m. I'm going to record at 8 in the morning. And hopefully by 1 p.m. the podcast will be out. It literally takes that long. It takes all day to get a podcast out on YouTube to you guys. But I'm very excited to share with you guys. I'll be back on Tuesday. That's all I have. Thank you so much. I'm going to the beach tomorrow. Um, I'm going to go to the doctor next week and figure out what the hell's wrong with my stomach. And uh, I'm excited, man. I think the podcast is going really, really well. I'm really grateful for you guys. And I thank you so much for listening. My name is Zach Schaumler. That is all I have. But um bum bam we're done.